Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast. This is podcast number four. Write for Your Life is a blog for writers. Um, it features articles, episodes and this very podcast. Um, if you listen regularly, then I'll be very surprised because we've not done one for a while. Um, but it's worth mentioning that uh, Manuela isn't with me today. And she's fine, don't get me wrong, she's absolutely fine. But, um, you know, we've been really busy. We've been jet-setting around the world doing copywriter t- uh, type of things, which of course is all completely untrue. But um, we have been busy, so um, I thought I'd do a quick podcast on my own, just a little 10-minute sort of thing, and you might get more podcasts like this in between the ones I do with Manuela, and who knows, maybe other people too. But I thought that I'd just do a quick 10 minutes myself. You might like to think of it as some kind of, I won't say a brain dump, because that sounds extremely unpleasant, or perhaps a thought deposit. Um, of mine. <clears throat> so what I'd like to do is talk about um, just a couple of articles that have been um, uh, around the blogosphere, but also just sort of the, uh, newsworthy, especially the first one. <clears throat> so the first thing I'm going to talk about is Glasses Gate. Absolutely incredible scenes at uh, Jonathan Franson's um, uh, book launch, which was um, of his uh, latest novel Freedom, which was being launched to uh, you know, relative fanfare for the book industry. Um, and of course the unthinkable happened at this book launch, if you don't know. Um, someone ran in, took, the, took his glasses um, from his face and legged it. Ran off with his glasses, unbelievable. Um, and of course it, it made the news, which is kind of the point I want to talk about. This, was, this made sort of uh, the national papers, and of course it was a, it was a high profile book launch as far as book launches go. But you know, this was still considered relatively big news, and you know, a lot of people complained about this. I know I was sort of reading the comments sections. People were complaining that there were, I don't know, seven or eight, however many it was, articles about it on the Guardian website about Jonathan Francis, Francis's glasses being stolen and what an outrage it was that, that, that he was receiving this much coverage. And um, <clears throat> along, with, along with, of course, his, of course, his novel was actually pulped in the UK as well. The first sort of 80,000 copies of his of freedom were, were pulled recently because they had it was the wrong version they had sort of typos in all kinds of trouble and this has created a kind of a bit of a whirlwind around the novel all, good, all publicity is good publicity you would think but it's also had this sort of celebrity feel to it i think and the the glasses gate story just sort of um added to that in a very surreal kind of way and it sort of got me thinking about um books and um, authors and celebrity because uh, you know real literary authors there aren't many celebrities. There are some that are high profile, but they don't tend to get widespread coverage when their novel get launched, uh, novels or the, you know their books are launched. And uh, this seems to me like a, a slightly odd phenomenon that this uh, this had happened, that it had been treated or, or it had been covered. Glassesgate, and I mean, even the fact that it's called Glassesgate for crying out loud, in that kind of way. So should we be outraged? Should we be sort of concerned that sort of you know what is at the end of the day a fairly trivial matter? Is uh, glasses getting pinched? Of course, the book is the most important thing. So should we be annoyed that it was getting the kind of courage that it did? Well, well, my personal feeling is that, you know, like I just said, all publicity is good publicity. Of course, all publicity is good publicity for Jonathan Franzen's book. But it's also kind of good for the publishing industry as well. I mean, we're going through a fairly tough time at the moment. And I say we, sort of, slightly from the outside of it, yet to be in it. But, you know, you know what I mean. Um... You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good, it's nice to see stories being covered, sort of widespread, it's nice to see Twitter sort of covered, not just sort of the, uh, not just the literary sphere of Twitter 
um, you know, people talking about uh, Glassersgate, and you know, it doesn't really matter what the subject is. If people are talking about books and about uh, literature, you know, is it really that bad a thing? So that's got my kind of take on it. A very sort of comical story, I have to be honest. I did laugh, and I probably shouldn't have done it. It's a terrible thing to have done um, uh, as a as a glasses wearer. Although I think my prescription would probably mean I was all right. But um, yeah, you know, not that big a deal really at the end of the day. And you know, if it gets publicity for the industry as a whole, then you know. That's kind of fine by me. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is e-readers and whether they are green or not. Um, and when I say green, of course, I mean environmentally friendly. I think there's sort of a... It's quite easy to sort of think of um, e-readers as being a no-brainer in the sense that, of course, of course, they're going to be environmentally friendly or, or more, more environmentally friendly than books or traditional publishing because, you know, no more printing. It's going to be great, you know, no sort of... Trees being felled for, for sort of mountains of books, many of which won't get read, or in Jonathan Franzen's case, end up being pulped. But it's a bit of a flawed theory. Of course, it's a flawed theory in the sense that, <clears throat> you know, an iPad, for instance, or or the Kindle has got to go through endless um, manufacturing processes. It still needs to be distributed, and of course, they're much much more difficult to um, recycle. I mean, you know, the book is the ultimate recyclable, you know. Um, what do you call it? Item, I guess, because you know you can just turn it into something else quite easily. Um, but that's not so easy with with e-readers. So that's kind of the obvious way of thinking it of as, a, as a as a flawed theory. <clears throat> but I read an article, uh, and this is on the Guardian. Actually, I've already mentioned the Guardian twice. I should probably get some sort of commission. But this is an article by uh, Leo Hickman, and this is uh, an article called "Are Ebooks Greener Than Paper Books?" And there's a choice quote that I've pulled out, and I posted this on my personal blog. Um, stroke what I'm calling Museum for Writers, Broomstick. And this is the quote. He says, Does a multi-use gadget, such as the iPad, increase the environmental credentials of the e-book because it means this single piece of electronica, unlike the Kindle, also provides lots of other uses? But what about the fact that most electronic gadgets have a limited lifespan before the next big thing comes along? For example, how many iPods has the average music fan gone through over the past decade? Or mobile, or mobile phones, for that matter. By comparison, a book made of dead trees can last hundreds of years and, furthermore, be recycled into another book upon its demise. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I guess, I guess the reason that I pulled that quote out is because it's true. I think we can look at e-readers at the moment. It's quite, it's quite new, much like when the iPod was released. It was, it was kind of a new kind of uh, technology. It was a new way of consuming fairly old media, you know, music and now, um, and books or, you know, the printed word. Um, and the iPod's evolution has been pretty rapid. If you think of the old, the, you know, the original iPod, which was uh, roughly 10 years ago, forgive my lack of facts, but, you know, roughly a decade ago, and look at the new iPod touches, there's been so many iterations in between. You know, I'd, probably over 100, I don't know, but I'm guessing, but in terms of all the different iPods and the different shuffles and the nanos and the iPhones and all that kind of thing, there's an awful lot of iterations. And of course, as soon as... And the reason there are iterations, of course, is because, you know, the technology gets better and um, and Apple and other MP3 uh, uh, player-making companies know more about what users want, so they create new versions. And, um, and, and inevitably, we as consumers want those new versions. So we're constantly having to try and get rid of all those things. These are all things that need recycling because the rate at which these things are advancing and being 
um, uh, produced and improved and new versions come out and new versions bought means that there's a lot more waste and there's a lot more uh, a lot more catching up to do uh, environmentally um, and that's quite a quandary and I think that's where e-readers probably are at the moment in, in the um, in the green debate because yeah of course you know there's probably you know, a legitimate reason to say eventually um, that e-readers will be a more environmentally friendly option than paper books but it won't be for a few years because we've got that whole process that the iPod's been through to go through ourselves or uh, e-readers certainly have in the sense that you know people are still just learning how to use them they're still getting used to them just as just in the same way that the manufacturers are just getting used to making them they're going to improve and they're going to improve quickly and um, and that means that we're going to not want the ones that we already had uh, which is a bit of a shame it would be nice to to sort of stick with what we've got for a while but that's not really the way of the world unfortunately but it's quite an interesting it's quite an interesting area and um, I think um, it's a big debate about uh, e-readers and whether they're agreed or not and it's sort of it's just sort of one facet into this whole sort of direction that the publishing industry is inevitably going down with the uh, with the techno stuff so um, that's that I just thought I'd bring that up it's worth reading I'll put a link a link to that article um, on the uh, on the post which goes along with this podcast finally I just wanted to speak out in defense a little bit of literary agents and uh, other publishing types editors and that kind of uh, that kind of person or that kind of job role with everything that's happening in the publishing industry and the e-revolution as it's often referred to in a slightly ludicrous way um, people think that certain roles aren't going to be needed anymore people can just bypass agents and they can bypass publishers and uh, get straight to the market but you know there's more to it than that there really is um, and uh, if I could just take a, a comment that's been placed on my post on Write For Your Life which is how many writers does it take to change a light bulb and I was talking about writers and responsibility and that kind of thing. And Martin Cooper, and I hope he doesn't mind me quoting his post, because I do, do, do appreciate it when people leave comments. So I'm not, I'm not dissing anyone commenting on my post, but I thought it was interesting. Um, and he says, uh, flippantly, and he, and, and, he, and he admits that, how many literary agents does it take to change a light bulb? None. It's a really nice light bulb. They enjoy switching it on, and they love the way it glowed, but they don't think this is quite the right evening, perhaps when it gets darker. And then Martin goes on to say, sorry, couldn't resist. And um, it seems to be sort of a recurring trend about whether we actually need these people that uh, are part of the uh, publishing process. Um, and rather than, uh, I mean, I can talk from, I guess I'm going to use an, another example to tell you really uh, my, my opinion, I guess. But just to say my experience with having an agent has been absolutely uh, the opposite of that. She has um, improved my novel no end and it's felt like a partnership at times and... Um, and uh, she's been patient and um, and supportive and uh, way beyond what I expected, quite frankly. And, uh, and I'm extremely pleased. And, and at the end of the day, I have a better book uh, because of um, having a literary agent. And that's just an absolute fact. I know that's a very um, anecdotal way of looking at it, but I can say that uh, sincerely. But I just wanted to uh, point you to an article by Philip Goldberg as well called Who Needs Publishers? We All Do. And this is published on the Huffington, Huffington Post. And in one of his bullet points, he gives you a list of reasons why we all need publishers. And one of them is quality control. So I'm just going to read a little bit of an extract from that to sort of back up how I feel about um, literary agents specifically, I guess. But he's talking in general about um, uh, people that work in the publishing industry. So he says, After authoring and co-authoring more than 20 books, I was just reminded once again of the immense value of working with professionals. 
At each step of the way, from inception to restructuring to rewrites to finalising the index, editors, copy editors and proofreaders made my book a better book. I'm not just talking about spotting typos and grammatical errors, although they did plenty of that. At the onset, editorial discussions helped me to clarify the book's point of view and its focus. Later, when I turned in the manuscript after several drafts on my own, my editor spotted a structural weakness that slowed the narrative flow. He didn't know how to solve the problem, but he diagnosed it, and that was enough. And that's kind of how, uh, that's, you know, I, I know that the next stage for me, um, it all being well, would be to work with an editor, but I've had that, uh, to a degree, had that relationship with my agent, and, and, and it's true, it's, it's, uh, she's, you know, they, they are professionals, and they're there for a reason. Don't just assume that because you can just put a PDF together or you can go to print on demand and get your book out there that, um, that you're not missing out on, um, on, on, on a service effectively as well as someone to sell your book. They will actually make your book better before they do try and do that. So that's, that's my opinion on that particular matter. Okay, I'm going to leave it there, I think, for this podcast. I told you it would be fairly short. Do let me know if you've enjoyed it and do feel free to read other articles on Write for Your Life. Um, and, uh, and that's it thanks for listening